Uh, welcome to The Real Deal Podcast. I'm Maddie Marshall, and we're going to talk about some paintball stuff. We're going to talk about a badass new paintball film that has just come out called The Rookie. And I am pretty stoked to have Omid and Cena here, the creators and stars. Well, one's the creator, one's the star, correct, of this bad boy? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I'm the, I'm the guy that made the film, like, production-wise, and he made the film paintball-wise. Nice. Yeah. So uh, just so we can kind of, you know, so the listeners can get your voices down, who's who? Just break it down for me. How did this come about? Start off with the star of the show. Uh, yeah, I'm Omid. Um, I was the one that played paintball in the video, I guess. Uh, <laughs> kinda, Cena kind of told my story from behind the camera, so it was super cool. Obviously, like a great opportunity to kind of get my name out there, uh, given that it's my first year on the paintball tour, I guess. Uh, yeah, and um, I'm uh, Cena, and I'm basically a first-year indie filmmaker, whatever you want to call it. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's my, my first year doing paintball, and I had a blast. Nice. So what was the catalyst behind this, and, uh, and where did this concept come from? So um, I found out that there was an opportunity to get a film into the Dallas Film Festival, which, I mean, it's up there. It's not the Sundance or anything. It's not, it's not really – I mean, it's, it's known internationally. It's actually called the International Dallas Film Festival, and there's quite a bit of opportunity gained from just being at the festival. And um, – one of the producers hit me up from a commercial work I did and was like, hey, um, I know you like doing documentaries. There's a spot open. If you have any ideas, shoot them our way. And um, there was a lot of different options that I had. And nothing came close for my own personal excitement than to put the budget you know, and set it aside to do a really fun film shoot. And I, and I liked the idea of the travel. I really liked it. And, it inherently would be low cost after the travel uh, because it's so, I mean, the event itself just plays out so beautifully that you don't have to go spend money on lighting and production wise. So like, I like that concept and, and it basically went between doing um, like food documentaries and, and following chefs around starting up new companies and et cetera, or, or doing the paintball thing. And that was kind of where it started. And I really just did the, the film festival um, for the sake of, you know, a resume, every, every indie filmmaker, um, most filmmakers pride themselves on nominations and and that kind of thing. And, um, and this was my first one ever. So it it was just a, a great opportunity, an amazing story. Um, and I, and I just wanted to, um, kind of show the world why I'm so infatuated by it. And, um, it turned out, turned out pretty much the way I wanted it to. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really cool look. Um, I think it's really well done. And considering you apparently haven't really done a ton of crafting of films before, I, I really liked uh, you know I liked how it was produced. Um, obviously, I'm a sucker for a good paintball story, and uh, and and it definitely has one of those. Um, so you guys are brothers, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. So so. Omi, did you kind of like approach him with the idea, or did Cena? Did you come to your bro with the idea? Like, who- he he actually came to me and said, "Hey, man," uh, and, and obviously he's been involved in the paintball world the entire time as well. Like he played when we were younger, stuff like that. And uh, when we were he, younger, I mean, yeah, up until a year so before I went pro, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So he he came to me and he said, "Hey, man, I'm going to do a documentary on you." And I at first I was like, "What the? Well, I mean, what what are you talking about? Like, you're going to do a documentary on like." my schoolwork or like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and, uh, 
and I mean, he was like, no, 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 we're going to do paintball. And I was like, come on, man. Like everyone does paintball. Uh, like that's too easy. Like, what are you going to do? Just film me doing breakouts and then diving into bunkers and like talking about how ag I look or whatever. And then I, and then he explained the concept about how it was going to be like, you know, a life, like, you know, what exactly goes into to playing at that level. And I was like, okay, you know what? People, people haven't really seen that before. Like we, people have talked about it and we've seen some stories like a uh, couple of documentaries in the back of the day. There was one about that seven man team that that stuck with me. And so I figured, you know, if my brother could do it right, and if he could do a solid job on it and produce it well, I think it would have a great I following and people it, would love it. And if before we divulge too much into this, the the version that was released online, the PB Nation version, was and the, the ones that you guys have seen, was one that I developed after the Dallas Film Festival cut. The Dallas Film Festival cut was 25 minutes, and it's actually in the short documentary category. And it's it is fairly different than the one that is shown online. Um, and obviously I can't release that yet until the film festival, which is until May. Um, but the one that was, that was released already is far more geared toward people who um, have seen paintball at least once. I mean, there's still a lot of like explanation in it, but it's not, it's, it's got some of the background behind it, but the documentary itself, like the 25 minute cut is almost completely you know, what is paintball. So it's, it's a nice blend for the ones that's been released, if that makes sense. Wow. So was how much extra work f was that for you? Because having been, you know, behind the camera a decent amount on some decent amount of projects, I, I understand the mind-blowing hours that you have to spend doing these sorts of things. So if you had to create two completely different cuts of the same film, was that mm -hmm. kind of an epic undertaking? I mean, was it just oh. you working on all this or did you have, you know, a little bit of help or... Um, no, I produce it 100% myself. I did have additional content given to me for specific events that happened that, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, it's impossible to dictate paintball matches with one camera. It's impossible. Literally it's just, impossible. Yeah. I mean, there. it's not like soccer. It's not like football. We, I mean, most people that listen to this know this. There's no not one place we point the camera and expect something to happen. And to make it worse... Um, uh, slow motion has become a big part of my, my personal preference of, of watching paintball. And the camera that I use can shoot super slow motion, but it only shoots in 16-second bursts. And then it writes for 30 seconds. So once you shoot something for 16 seconds, you have to wait a half a minute for it to write to the file. And then all of a sudden, you know, Omi gets stuck or like... <laughs> Or like someone runs down the field. Great example, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the reality of it. Is like, like it's so hard to capture the moment that we're gonna talk about, like in parentheses, the moment. Mm -hmm. And and that was a huge undertaking. It was really frustrating to do. So people like Chris Lowe, uh, Dirter gave me some footage. Uh, Paintball Access, obviously, it was like one of the only ways that I could think of to to truly dictate how important certain issues were within the matches um and, and that was that was really helpful and um as far as time was concerned funny story um it was one weekend prior to my deadline to release the content to dallas film festival and i thought i had three months still so yeah. i i produced from minute one to minute last in one weekend and I can't tell you how stressful that was like oh. I had all the content laid out and I had some of the timelines done but I literally did the whole movie in one weekend and it was uh, I, I really wish I would have had more time for the film 
Uh, I did get some more time to release the parts, and that's one of the reasons we released the video online parts was so that I can finish editing. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was quite the journey. Wow, that is really impressive to hear because I know how many hundreds of hours that many time many times entails you know the creative process to create these these specific films and the fact that you had to pump out you know a 25 minute short documentary within the context of a weekend regardless of how much prep that you had uh that is ridiculous bro so <laughs> well executed on that um that's that's crazy so uh i got a couple questions one what 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 was your intent for the film you know so other than hey, my bro's playing high-level paintball. He's got a pretty rad story. Let's document it, and this is going to help me cut my teeth to you know, try to do these sorts of things. You know, what was the intent behind it other than that? I mean, how did you, how, what sort of affect did you want this to have on the world? I think <clears throat> coming from um, someone who watched every single Dirter ever released, I've watched probably <laughs> every single video dating I'm, I'm dating you by the way but going all the way back to when you played for excessive i it's, mean i've watched hey baby it's easy to date me it's not <laughs> it's not that hard i mean i i've <laughs> i am definitely a paintball video connoisseur and um not not behind the lens but behind the screen and um i've always thought that the ones that were the most gripping and the ones that i've watched multiple times and took in you know taken something away from it were the ones that had a story behind it, not the ones that were just dubstep to breakouts. And although I, I believe there's a time and place for that, and, and people like Cassidy with HK and, and like HD Bros and stuff, they make some really impressive work that's just as difficult, or if not way more difficult than doing a documentary. But to me, I, I personally, my, my taste and my flavor is I want to know how he got to you know five seconds till breakout and his gun's touching the start box, like what, what led up to that? How did this kid even show up on excessive or damage or storm or whatever? So my intention was just to bring some more emphasis on that type of cinematography into paintball where not only I, but people who don't know paintball can take something away from it. And um, everyone knows that paintball only grows from within. And this was kind of one of the only ways I could think of helping as long as well as my own agenda, which was um, uh, you know, cut my teeth and, and hopefully get a nomination or something. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Did we lose him? I think we lost him. No, I'm here, still here. I was just pondering that amazingly thoughtful <laughs> exposition of, of, of what you had, what you did. Well, the thing, I think I just, so many thoughts run in my mind. I mean, one is, ha has it come out in the film festival already and how was it received? No, um, the film festival is reviewing the films. I did get a notification letting me know that I am going to be in the film festival. And then I'll find out if it's nominated or won any awards at the film festival itself. So basically, like you'll see sometimes it'll say like official selection. You know, they put those badges in front of some film festival videos with mm -hmm. the little leaves on the side. So like right now, the, the rookie basically is on the official selection list for short documentary. And then um, we'll go from there. So I don't know yet, but we made the festival, which is which was goal number one. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And then the other thing that I, I love your explanation of of the why, you know, because to me that is why one I'm still involved, even involved with paintball, is that I'm I am just 
organically and realistically incredibly interested in the story behind the main story and and bringing those sorts of things to light because I, I truly believe um, that that is really the only reason and I and I have I preach this stuff all the time but I, I, I preach it for a reason I think that it's very true no human being gets up in the morning and cares about anything you are made to care about specific things, whether it be a book or a novel, or I'm sorry, a book, yeah. or a novel, nonfiction, fiction, a film, a documentary, a TV show, your friend's life, whatever it may be, you are made to care by somebody, either you see something or you hear something or somebody that you know and trust about specific types of content tells you about something and then that awakens a certain interest in you to know more, to be inquisitive, to be curious about how those things work and the why behind it. and. Um, have you guys seen the documentary Like Water, Anderson Silva's documentary? I have, yeah. Do you remember the scene where Anderson Silva is getting ready for the Chow Sonna fight? I mean, that's pretty much the gist of the whole documentary. But he's in the car driving. Ed Soros, his manager, is in a room listening to this interview. He's being interviewed. He's on this conference call. Uh, Chow Sonnen is also on this conference call, and these reporters are asking him questions. And, the, and Anderson Silva... <laughs> Because he's so successful and because he's a, you know, a pure, quote unquote, martial artist and kind of hates the pomp, pomp and circumstance surrounding, um, you know, what MMA has become on the business side and, you know, just the engine that drives the machine. And uh, he hates all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, whether he's just bitter and tired of it all because, you know, he's his reign at that point had become so ridiculously potent that, you know, he just felt either because he was sick of it or he's above it or for whatever reason, and he was just giving yes or no answers. Just, they'd be like, so Anderson, you know, you're getting ready for this fight. How are you feeling about it? Are you training, you know, specifically for Chow or, you know, I, what exactly is going on? And he'd just be like, yes. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the reporter asked another question and be like, no. And you could see Ed Soros, his manager, is just rolling his eyes. I mean, he's not even, you know, he's listening to the call. He's not physically in Anderson's presence, but he's listening to the call and he's rolling his eyes because he's like, shit, here we go again, you know? And, and it's, and then, and, and Chow's listening, Chow Sonnen's listening, who's like the king of hype. You know, he turns every MMA match into yeah. a WWE. Starts talking shit, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, but he's doing that. He's not doing that because, I mean, maybe he does enjoy it, but he's doing that for a specific reason. And that reason is to catalyze fans to want yeah, to see, to hype the fight. You know, they're in the fight selling business. That is the business that they're in. And their, you know, end take home pay, if they have some of the pay per view revenue, is directly correlated to how much that fight, you know, the numbers that it does. Right. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, there's a couple ways to go as far as arguing this point, but I think the fact, and so anyway, so Chow goes off and he's like, if you expect, you know, Anderson thinks he's above all this and what he doesn't realize is that, look, yeah, Anderson thinks that people are going to be tuning in to watch us fight. He's like, that's not it, dummy. He's like, people want to know why we are fighting. And with paintball, I think that the, the, the spectacle of paintball and, and all the shows that I've been involved with and, and all the time that I've spent in both on the field and off the field has led me to know, not just think, but I'm pretty sure about this, that, you know, the spectacle of paintball is confusing. And people, and that is not why people are, that's not why, we, that's not how we're going to build fans for the sport, you know, just by, by showcasing the spectacle of the sport. That's not it. That's can be at first a little entertaining, but then if you don't really, if you can't dive in and we, we try so hard at PBA to try to, you know, clarify as many things as possible, what's going on out there, given our resources between statistics and graphic packages and information and backstory with the teams and blah, 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 blah. But 
if you can't incite that just base element emotion of the why, you know, of the yeah. of the story It'll behind, get lost. yeah, then then people don't have the context they need um, to understand and, and really get interested, regardless of how baffling the spectacle is. And, um, and, and I mean, so, yeah, like but, think about the vicious match that was on the video. It it wouldn't have really had people had already seen that match. People had already seen that we had lost that match. But until they saw the entire documentary, just kind of see like how I got there, why I was there, why we were playing them, what it meant to the team, they could have cared less. I mean, it was just a bad call. It went one way, didn't go the other way. But it actually generated a ton of more views, a ton more just like hubbub about that one match just because people knew why it was there. So, I mean, I think I can pretty much go for anything, yeah, any match right humans, now. Humans by nature want to hear stories. Whether, yeah. whether it's a good story or not, it's gripping when there's a story. And I agree with that. And I think that might be... One of the drawbacks of paintball by nature is that it's hard to dictate the story, and I think that's what Maddie's trying to get at, is that if it's not immediately understood and you have to explain right. the story, you're already on a crutch. I mean, you're already like well behind the curve, especially for a sport where people just want to you know, sit back and watch. So that's kind of our hurdle. Yeah, I think it definitely is a hurdle, but... Um... I do totally agree with you. It's it's just with paintball and the, the sense that you know people don't know something unless you tell them it, and so they're not gonna know the backstory. They're not gonna know like let's say you know Heat for instance. So you know Heat taking the field this year, vastly different story than it was last year. And yeah. it, unless people are informed on that, and we don't have the the luxury of the twenty four hour sports media cycle, um, just churning out content with hundreds of reporters around the globe. Uh, trying to glean any sort of fascinating information about anything uh, yeah. to, to, to feed, you know, this inquenchable desire for sports content, uh, mainstream sports, because it's been around for generations and it's built in, you know, from the time you're a little baby child, you are, you know, your dad's interested in football and you're sitting in your dad's lap and you hear these stories. Oh, you know, that's Roger Harbaugh or that's, you know, now right. Brett Favre. You hear these like legends and, uh, and I've mentioned it many times before in, within the context of the podcast. So if you've been listening to this before, you, I'm probably repeating myself if you've heard this. But to me, it's about heroes, history, ongoing narrative, spectacle, and statistics. Those are the five fingers of the sports marketing fist. And any sports popularity and success is a direct measure of the people behind it, their ability to bring those things to light. And, uh, and you know, so it's like, with, like Storm, you know, Storm's one of those teams and I definitely want to, you know, kind of get into that and ask, you know, you guys how that team is going to be developing for 2014. But, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that every, store, every team has a very interesting story once you start peeling the onion down. You peel the curtain back and you see what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but until you actually are honest and, and have the ability to convey that information to the world, no one's going to give a shit about what it is that you guys are doing. And, uh, and that's why I'm, I, I, you know, I saw your guys' stuff and, and this, this thing you created, I, I'm just such a fan because, you know, you guys did this yourselves and you took it upon, you know, your own initiative to go out and, and tell the story. And, uh, and I think that, you know, it helps paintball, it helps the team, you know, it, it, it helps, like, I, I want to know what's going to happen next year. You know, I mean, I already knew, I, you know, I know Ryan Gray and we talk, so I know a little bit about the team as far as what he tells me, but I don't know any other guys on the team other than LJ. And so other than the, <laughs> you know, and, uh, is and, he on the team now? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is he still on the team? I, I don't yeah, know. He, no, he's on the team. Okay. Yeah. Wait, yeah. is Chuck Sweezy on the team or is Justin Swartz oh, on the team? Because those are two completely apparently, different people. Yeah. No, he, he doesn't like that name apparently. I don't know. I tried to call him that at a Christmas party a couple of weeks ago. He just was not a fan. So 
I'm going to stay away from the Chuck Sweezy on this one. <laughs> but I will still call him Bloody Knuckles. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> where, do, where did he get the Bloody Knuckles name? It's the uh, that Iron Man video that came out about a year ago that mm -hmm. kept saying in their videos. Too, right? Yeah, it's actually a reckoning series, I think. Yeah, and uh, I was just going to say every match, that's an age old uh, that's an age old saying. So I'm wondering how yeah. that nickname got sent to him. Yeah, well, you know, pretty much anything Iron Man yourself, is uh, is uh, LJ. <laughs> right on, but yeah, so that I mean, it's I just think it's. It's uh, knowing how hard it is to produce these sorts of things and get those sorts of stories out to the world. And I mean, yeah, anyone these days with the you know advance of technology can spend a bunch of money on a really dope camera and uh, and a dope computer and some you know <laughs> Avid or Final Cut software and you know watch a YouTube video and figure out how to you know how to manipulate those technologies in order to put something together and tell a story. But yeah. um, but the the craft behind it and the intent behind it and and actually you know uh, um, actually doing it is uh, two completely different things. It's, you know I hear people come to me with ideas all the time. They're like we should do this and we should do that and we should do this and we should do that. And it's like idea ideas don't mean shit. Execution is what's important. And yeah. the fact that you guys executed this thing and it's a cool vid, it's a cool film is, uh, and I'd be really interested to actually see the 25 minute version. Um, yeah, but as I, soon as it's released, we can put it online, but they have to have the copy first. And then um, there's actually one thing I wanted to say about that. And it's the, the background story, which was, I think, one of the most important and most intriguing. And one of the reasons why I instantly knew that this was going to be a story, a good one prior to me even knowing that they make Chicago, like MAO finals, I mean, this was like day one, was Omid went from, and it's not emphasized much in the online cut, but it is in the documentary, is that Omid went from Division Four, played one national event ever. I'm talking one national event. In Division Four, race to two. He never even played race to, uh, uh, what is it, four or higher for Division, what is it, I think four it starts. But at any rate, he's never even played a race to national and uh, makes Texas Storm and plays the very next national <laughs> at race to seven. And like that, that immediately I knew, okay, there's something here. Like we, we have to explain how this happened. And the reality of it, the actual story behind it is quite hysterical. Oh, well, can we please get into that hysterical side of the story? Well, okay. Well, the simple story is Omid and I played on a team called Texas Phenomenon. Uh, <laughs> shout out! And shout um, out. <laughs> <laughs> and the guys on that team played together for like, I mean, they're all my very close friends. Um, we played together for like five years, and we played all the local series in Texas, like Avid series, um, et cetera, AXBLs, and we never really played nationals. So we. Never really got PSP ranks. We had no idea how good we were. And then one year we decided, you know, that this is probably our last year. We're all going to have kids. Let's go play nationals. And we end up getting, and that was one year PSP did the um, world. Affiliate leagues. Yeah, the affiliate leagues in the world ranking system. And um, Texas Phenomenon ended up first in the world. And, <laughs> uh, and it was all because we would just destroy these local series, these affiliate, these affiliate leagues. Anyway, long story short, he um, we play World Cup. We do fine. The team decides, you know, this is you know we all got real lives to go back to. We need to let's just go back to playing locals occasionally. And um, everybody had kids, literally, like every single member on the team except for Omid had kids. And uh, 
And Omid and I decided during that off season, hey, let's just go try out for Texas Storm. They play at the same field that we play at. And, you know, what, what could happen? They're going to say no. And we both make the like practice squad. Like you, you do not get handed a gun and a jersey day one. That's not how Ryan Gray does it. Is now you're allowed to come to the practices, and now you're allowed to show like what you got and what he can work with. And that just goes to show uh, immediately how good Ryan Gray and the coaching staff and the current members of the team are. Is they took something that they saw as like a very raw. Uh, diamond in the rough concept and they turned Omi from a race to two never played a national to a starting member of Texas Storm in one season um, and, and I think that just goes to show for other players as well is that is there's a lot of commitment involved that's the number one issue with with becoming a professional paintball player they don't practice in Dallas alone they don't just get handed free jerseys and and guns and gear just say, you know, okay, just go put your jersey on and go have fun and play. Like, that's not the situation at all. And um, that story is a little bit better explained in the documentary, but that's the, yeah. gist, that's the kind of the gist of it. And I kind of want to highlight one point. When I joined Texas Storm, like when I got to the tryout, there was players at the tryout that were far better than me that should have had the spot over me um, with, uh, you know, pretty much – Obviously, like they, it was you could have seen it if you were standing on the sidelines. But what I think the coaching staff saw and like the other players saw was that I was like mildly athletic. I was decently fast. I had like good technique, good gun skills, whatever. But being able to play every single weekend with those kind of guys, they knew that that would kind of turn into something. And so that's kind of how it worked, started. I wouldn't say that when I was playing D4, was I ever even close to ready to play even like Division two. There, there was no chance. Yeah. But they saw the potential in you, and you must have exuded something that told them that you would have the work ethic needed to progress forward in the sport quickly, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, yeah. just the fact – I mean, so I go to school in Austin uh, just from Dallas. That's a three-hour drive. So if I'm going to drive – if I'm going to go to a practice where technically our home field is going to be, that's going to be three hours. Uh, more than likely, our practice is actually going to be in Oklahoma, so that's going to be five hours. Just the fact that I was showing up every weekend and like playing two full days, shooting 90 cases every weekend, like just that alone shows people on the team that like, okay, this kid's actually easier to stick around. Like I remember at the beginning of the tryout when people started getting on the team, the guys, the core guys from Storm were like, oh, you know, every year we pick up like four dudes. They realize how far they have to drive, how many practices they have to come to, how much paint they have to shoot, That's how exactly many times what they have to, to dive. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, and they're <laughs> like, ah, oh, forget first it. Week. <laughs> yeah. Cena was like, you mean we have to stay here till 5 p.m.? We can't just shoot two cases and leave? And I was like, I know, right? <laughs> so, I mean, even that alone, just showing up and just working as hard as you can really just it, it proved to be pretty important for the coaching staff. Well, that is such a fundamentally important part of the process that, you know, talent to me is important, but that is not really the measure that I'm going to use to, in my brain at least, decide whether or not somebody's going to make it, quote-unquote, you know? Um, right. Because, man, I, I, if, you know, if I had a quarter for every time some really talented guy came out to whatever team I was on and, you know, stunted and looked awesome, but just, just caved when, uh, you know, when adversity hit or when, you know, yeah, the, the, I mean, that's why we call it the grind. Call it the grind for the reason, not just because it sounds cool. 
and um, and they just couldn't hack those sorts of things. So, you know, that that's a fundamentally very important part of maturing as a paintball player is just putting the time in. Um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that book, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Have you guys read that book or heard about the principles in it, the whole like 10,000 hour thing before? Yeah. yeah, actually, the Beatles emphasized that yep. 10,000 hour thing quite, quite heavily. Yeah, I mean, the Beatles, it, that's one of the stories in the book where, you know, he's talking about how the Beatles got this gig in Germany and they had to play like six, seven, sometimes eight hours a day. And right. that's where they learned how to perform in front of people. So when they got it, you know, when the world was ready for that type of music and when they had progressed because of the hours that they had put in, learning how to play live, learning how to play together, work off each other, and create music. So when that opportunity presented itself, they were ready to go. And uh, and there's the book is rife with those sorts of things. It's such a um, actually got just got a text from uh, Meter today, and he was like, "I'm reading Outliers." He's like, "I'm only I'm three chapters in. This <laughs> oh, book's awesome." Funny, you know, funny name drop by the way, Meter Meter's original Division Four team, and he'll he'll argue this with me. But I taught a kid everything he knows, and he was on Texas Phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> True. He actually used to, I remember one time, Cena made him sit in the back of his two-door Celica and put six gear bags on top of him. So uh, Meter has started from the bottom, just, uh, just to kind of put that out there. God, and now he's here. Yeah, wow. Now weird. he's here. <laughs> yeah, hey, but I'm, you know, I mean, he's still young, but... What young kid doesn't get the six gear? I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, hey, kid. Yeah, exactly. uh, well, there's no seats left, and the back is filled with bags. But uh, yeah. and we're going to the airport, <laughs> um, so your choices are take a cab for an hour, or you can just lay on the bags because you're oh, the yeah, smallest exactly. dude here. So we're gonna need you to shut up and lay on the bags, and you don't really have a choice. <laughs> you know, uh, that's actually a question I had for you. Is that we don't have very, very few people have insight into the. Um, professional ties that the league or, or the, you know, the top brands have with, with funding and with the, the inherent issues of money not coming into the sport and then being dispersed to people like the pro players or the fans, et cetera. Why is it that um, the most ridiculous sports can get money from people like Red Bull, which I, that would be the first person I would approach, or Monster or any of these other uh, brands that almost directly line up with what paintball is about. Why is it? Why is it still not happened? Uh, well, that's a really good question, and that it, I would love for you to answer that question for me because then <laughs> we'd we'd have a much clearer route, road forward. But uh, you know, I don't I don't really know, man. To be honest, um, there has been outside dollars that have come in briefly into the sport of paintball. Uh, mostly through the old NPPL and it's, uh, you know, we're talking two, inter- uh, you know, generations of, of NPPL yeah, ago, 2008, like 2007, Bef- even before that. Yeah. Even before that, you know, so, um, you know, and those were, but those kind of, you know, so we're talking about like army, you know, uh, Marines, that sort of, yeah. that sort of type of money. Intel sponsored dynasty hmm. for a while. Rockstar sponsored dynasty for a while. I remember Intel. That's funny. Um, and what was, what was their... I have to ask, what was their motivation for sponsoring a paintball team? Like, what did they have at stake? That was, uh, I'm pretty sure that was a homie hookup, you know? Like, yeah, I figured. Uh, uh, and, and, okay. and Rockstar, that I'm pretty sense. sure, was a homie hookup too, you know? So the issue with those, but, the issue, I think the overarching issue is that paintball is, had been so scattered, and, and, it, and in little ways it still is, though we have seen a lot of evolution in that with the, 
PSP really kind of becoming the main most important league. Um, but, you know, I mean, if you take a no bullshit objective look at the sport about maybe five, six, seven years ago, I mean, you know, so you could go back to first do it. Let's let's this is a, such a, I mean, this is like a two hour long podcast in and of itself, but let's try to attack this. All right. So if you look back yeah. to, you know, the evolution of the game uh, and, and it's different forays into the mainstream. So all the way back to the very first ESPN deal that happened uh, involving Jerry Braun, and I don't, I'm not privy to exactly the details of how that deal went sour, but it went sour. Uh, and, right. and, and, and I don't really believe, looking back, I mean, every, that stuff's online. You've, everyone is free to go and look at that. You know, there was one in 1995, and then there was one in 1996. Um, one was in the woods, and one was on some re, re kind of open field, which was made right next to uh, the, you know, the woods ball fields at world cup. And then the people that were playing in that particular, you know, ESPN world championships, it's, they stayed later and that game was played on, I believe Monday and Tuesday. Um, so that happened and then, uh, it didn't work out. Uh, but I don't really, and then what I was going to say is, you know, go look at those games. I don't think the game was ready, uh, for, for the mainstream, to be honest. Um, in the way, in the sense that in order to film it properly at the, first of all, the game, hadn't evolved uh, organically to the point where it was played in a visible manner. You know, there was hyper, you know, hyperball was just, I don't even think hyperball had come out yet. Hyperball had, I think it was just getting started in, uh, in, in Europe at the time, um, <laughs> right around that time period. And this is pre airball. So there was no airball. And, and uh, so to play it out on an open field that made it visible, you had to build these like slat kind of plywood bunkers, which is what people were working with at the time. And then, um, wow. you know, and, and, and so it was predominantly in the woods. Now, and, and now I, I still am a big fan of woods ball, always have been, always will be, because that's where I began. And I think that you could create a compelling visual, you know, narrative that you could tell, but you would take a lot, it would take a, a, a substantial amount of resources and a lot of, of uh, back-end producing if you were going to do it live and or editing if you were going to film it and then cut it. Um, yeah. to actually make it a show because there's two ways to make a show. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you guys know this, but for the people out there, if you're making a television show, you can do it live, film it, and then, you know, insert commercial breaks, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, we do everything live for right. the PBA webcast. That's straight live. But, uh, but there had been no real, there'd been no live paintball events up until the point when we did the webcast and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but, uh, but when Pat um, and I sat down, Patrick Sporer, and we kind of started talking about, you know, Pat was like, hey, I think we could do this webcast thing. And I was like, oh, that would be sweet. You know, how would we go about doing that? So we started having creative discussions about that. And, uh, and he, you know, I'd, at this, that point I'd done um, three TV shows, I think. And so I'd been involved in, um, in, in these productions, but in a really limited capacity because I was just the host. I was just the commentator. And, uh, yeah. But in doing those shows and seeing how they were produced, I quickly figured out how they, you know, how they were doing it, where they put the cameras, what type of cuts they're talking about, what the producer said to the director, what the director said to the cameraman, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so every, I'd had all, that had all, all of those shows um, had been you know, filmed and then edited and then made into a show instead of doing it live. But um, but before we get to that, let's let's go back again to you know where the sport was when it was first making its foray into the mainstream. So so those shows happened with ESPN, and uh, nothing like, nothing really came of it. So then and nothing not only did nothing came of it, but I guess you know according to the rumor at the time, and it is just rumor because I you know I, again I was you know at the, I wasn't really to the point where I you know I 
I wasn't in any of these conversations to figure out really what the hell happened. You know, I don't know if ESPN screwed Jerry Braun or Jerry Braun screwed ESPN or there was probably a, you know, I, I don't Wait, know. You're saying ESPN. Are you talking about the, there was one on ESPN and it was an MPPL event. Are those as well? You don't know later. what happened? I think that was later, right? Uh, that was, are you talking about the webcast on the Ocho? I don't remember, but I know it was. I'm talking about. Was, I'm talking about Oliver Lang, big move up the middle. Yeah, it's like, it's a giant. I mean, that video. I'm sure everyone has seen that one. And it's where like there was a red zone in the MPPL, and then yeah. they like uh, Oliver Lang goes running down the middle. It's a highlight reel that was really popular. Uh, let me, let I believe. I believe. Up. I believe that was from a webcast about four years ago. That was not on ESPN. Uh, it was on ESPN. ESPN three, which is basically it was Uh-oh. a webcast. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, ah, and then, okay. and, and then it was, uh, it was recut. The webcast was then recut for air on pay-per-view, I believe on, on Xbox and some sort of, uh, I think a, again, oh. on some, something else. I can't remember what it was. Um, if, yeah, if exactly, if we're talking about the same sort of thing, but, um, cause I'm, yeah, there, Oh, was it the, uh, Miami event? I think, I think so. Yeah. Okay. That was 2006. Six. Yes, 2006. So how that happened was uh, Coke, Coca-Cola had a new energy drink. That energy drink was called Vault. And Vault needed a vehicle to try to get, uh, you know, that to to get their stuff out in front of people. And so uh, that production um, was basically financed by Vault. And, uh, and, and, and I think a little bit by the league too, but I'm not exactly sure. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a crazy event for me cause I was playing on excess energy and we were trying to win another pro spot with the, and have two excessive pro teams. And so I had to, uh, gear down in between our semifinal and final game, go out onto the main field and shoot the opens with Trace Worthington, who does the Olympics for ESPN. He's a former ski jumper, and he got hired to do the, you know, the straight commentator guy. And I was the color at the time. Um, ah. And uh, and so they brought me on to do that. But we had to, you know, that again, that was shot, filmed, and then edited, and then made into a TV show. So, um, so we had so I had to gear down, borrow someone's sunglasses, throw my jeans on, go out there, and then do the opens in front of the whole crowd while everyone's screaming bloody murder because we're literally stopping everything just so we can shoot these opens and it's just me and Trace out there. And I at one point I literally had to look up the crowd because they were just screaming bloody murder. I'm like, hey, we are trying to get I appreciate all of you guys. We are trying to get paintball on TV and make the sport bigger. And I'm gonna need a huge favor from everyone that's listening to my voice right now. Please give us at least a, a little bit of time of peace and quiet to get these things done so we can get more teams out so you guys can watch more paintball and everyone was like all right yeah we got you baby you know so that was kind of cool but <laughs> so yeah so then we finished the opens and then i geared back up and we went back out and we beat bob long's ironman and won another pro spot in miami so we had two pro teams going in the next year so that was kind of a cool that's that was a cool event but um but yeah so that's where that that's where that happened so so that but that was the next time that ESP. so we're talking about a span of 10 years where espn didn't necessarily want to have anything to do with um, tournament paintball, as far as I know, you know, again, I wasn't sitting in these meetings and I heard through the grapevine what was, you know, what happened with the original deal. Have no real true idea of what really did happen with those first, you know, ESPN World Championships that aired in 95 and 96. 
And then, uh, but then the sport itself did a lot of evolving. And it, uh, you know, we invent hyperball came out in 97, 98. Hyperball was, you know, we were playing in the woods and playing on hyperball fields. And then in addition, airball came out. So then for a while at a pro event, you would go to MPPLs as pre PSP and you would literally be playing an airball field, a hyperball field, and woods ball fields all in the same tournament. And you had to, you know, that was kind of interesting walking fields and doing strategies. And, um, you know, and this is when people, you know, again, technology has advanced and people started, you know, so Trauma Head came out and, and Patrick started doing his work when Push came out and then Serial Killers and Sunday, Dri or Sunday Drivers and Serial Killers. And, War uh, Pig. Yeah, War Pig, Don and, Don and Bill, shout out to them. Um, they put a lot of miles on their Jeeps driving around, doing good things for the sport. So, so yeah, so there was this, you know, and the Dirter came out in the early 2000s. And, you know, so there was a lot going on. And, uh, and the, but the, you know, so then, and also uh, at two, in 2003, that was when the big schism happened when you had, you know, the sport radically change uh, its structure in the sense that you had 10-man. And, uh, you know, it had been first, you know, paintball started uh, playing 15-man in the woods. Then it went to 10-man. And then it went to X-Ball in 2003. And not only did it go to X-Ball, but that is when the, sh the split happened between the PSP and the MPPL. Um, and, you know, and this is funny because we've been talking about this now for like 15 minutes or whatever. But this this confusion, <laughs> this confusion and intricate, you know, who's uh, there's this there, there, you know, who's who's paint, who's paintball? You know, if you're yeah. if you're uh, I mean, when you and, but it's interesting because, yeah, you know, I mean, in at the time it, it's have you guys seen the Eagle? You know, I, I'm a huge fan of documentaries, which is probably one of the reasons <laughs> I got a soft spot for a paintball documentary like you guys did. That's super cool. But have you guys ever seen the Eagles documentary? Have you seen that? No. Oh, dude, no, it's no. it's it's amazing. And you're on a whole nother level, apparently. Well, I if you put a gun to my head pre me watching the Eagles documentary and said name two members of the Eagles, or I'm gonna blow your head off, I would have been like, ah, uh, dude, I can't I can't even head get blow. one blow my head off. You know, I have no idea. And uh, and then after I watched that documentary, I became a gigantic Eagles fan because <laughs> the story is so compelling. It's two parts. It's three hours long. I had no idea that the Eagles were the biggest selling band of the 20th century and no concept. I had no idea how complex the story was. I had no idea how amazing they were, amazing musicians they were. And, um, and when I asked people, have you seen the Eagles documentary? A lot of people are like, you mean like the football team? And I'm like, no, dude, like the band. And, uh, they're like, no, dude, I haven't seen it. I'm like, you got, you got to see it. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I dabble in guitar, so that kind of maybe has another extra soft spot for me, but it was just so compelling, but there's the reason why I bring it up is that um, the the legendary rock guitarist Joe Walsh was a member of the Eagles, and uh, he was a huge cocaine and alcohol cocaine addict and uh, and uh, alcohol uh, alcoholic, and you know um, you know basically the Eagles getting back together saved his life. But he you know it's funny um, on Grantland there was this which is a really cool website that does mostly sports stuff, um, but this you know one of the guys that written this. Really interesting dissection of the Eagles documentary, and it was like spot on. Pretty much everything he said was, you know, I was thinking the same sort of thing. And one of the things he said is that, you know, who knew uh, that Joe Walsh was some crazy Zen like philosopher when thinking back on his time? Because the story was this like crazy roller coaster ride of success and breaking up and getting back together, and all these different dynamics of, pl of people working together to try to create something. Sound familiar? Um, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so he says, he's like, you know, it's, and I'm totally going to butcher this quote because this was so much better than this, but it was something like, he was like, you know, you know, at the time when you're going through these sorts of things, everything seems like it's, it's coming apart at the seams and, 
and that, you know, there's just all this struggle and trials and, you know, and you just can't quite wrap your head around it. But then when you look back on it and you see it kind of at a distance, it's like it's this finely crafted novel. And, uh, and kind of look, you know, looking back at Paintball's evolution, and, it, and, and honestly, it's short amount of time that it's been around, it, it's come very far. So, you know, people are always so quick to judge all of these, and, and, and I was involved in the sport heavily, you know, throughout all this. And so, you know, to see what people would say behind the scenes or to see what people would say online, you know, or in magazines or whatever about these sorts of things, it's like, dude, there was no old man to go consult on any of this. No one knew what yeah. the hell they were doing. You know, no one had ever I, put paintball on TV before. And then when they did, it was by the time it got on TV again, it was different. And then by the time they got on TV again, it was different, you know, and it's like all of these interesting, but con yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I understand your point, but paintball has been similar played on an airball field around 10 to 15 balls a second, whatever. The rules haven't really changed. The crowds haven't really changed besides grown. The vendors really haven't changed. The venues haven't really changed. I mean, I'm really sick of Florida. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, at what point is someone going to approach a company like Red Bull, for example? And at what point are we going to understand what we need to do as a, as a community, as a sport, to change it to where this can actually be a reality? Because I can tell you this, I mean, from my perspective, the number one issue is the difficulty of understanding it if you don't know it. My my parents were at World Cup for the first time ever watching Omi play, and they were like so happy to just go say hi to Omi after the match, and they're like, "Did you win?" Like, like I mean, it was. It, they're not stupid people, but it's hard to follow paintball unless you've played it, and even with how many cameras do you have on the field? Uh, let's see, I think 10. Okay, so even a dozen cameras from PBA, my camera and my explanation, they still don't fully grasp it. So at what point are we going to go, okay, this is what needs to get adjusted. Penalties need to be reduced in effectiveness. Why, why did the yellow flag completely swing the game? Or why, you know what I mean? Like there has to be some sort of adjustment. And changing the BPS and adding a few bunkers every year just seems like we're, we're, we're spinning our wheels. I don't know, but that's just an outsider view. Uh, that doesn't, that's not the view of anybody else besides me. Hey, bro, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, dude, I'm in this fight every day. So, yeah. you know, I, I, all I can do, and, and I guess a couple of different ways to look at this. It's we're doing the best that we can at PBA with the resources that we have. Yeah. Um, it, I, it's, I would agree to that. It's, it's fundamentally difficult to, uh, first of all, even televise live 30 plus hours of content a weekend um, with the, you know, with, with any resources. I mean, even if you had an unlimited amount of resources. Um, yeah. So to do it with, to, to make it sustainable, which is what we are trying to do um, within the framework of the sport itself, because, you know, like, for instance, you know, we don't have the ability to go and blow one point million dollars on one show, which is like what Smart Parts did in uh, the that uh, the ESPN two show that they had the Smart Parts World Championship indoors one. Yeah, you know, so funny, we don't. Funny side story: I had lunch today with Gerald Garcia from. Oh, uh, Gerald Garcia. Yeah, the anyway, Filipino killer Garcia brothers. Yeah, killers. I'm you know he's doing MMA now? Dude, the guy, I, I do jujitsu with him at his gym. The guy is insane. He will rip your head off. Like, that gut little man will kill you. <laughs> I believe it. He was ferocious out there on the field, so it does not surprise me that uh, 
you know, that, that he's a beast in the gym for sure. Anyway, uh, smart part. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I do agree. I asked these dude, I've been asking myself this question for over a decade. Um, and it's tough because, you know, they're, you know, I'm, I'm not a god of paintball. I, I can't just think of something in my head and then wave my magic stick and change things. Well, okay, you know? no one expects you to be able to change things on your own. But, but my question is, I guess my point is, in, in the situation of the rookie, mm-hmm. it's a very, very easy to point out the frustration of, of, of a league and uh, of the fans and of a team like Texas Storm. Uh, what happened on that field? Why, with the dozen cameras that you have, my camera, and about 40 other cameras that were on the field, not to mention the people watching, why has no one come up with a legitimate reason for that penalty? Why is everyone, like, in uproar about that penalty? And that's, again, this is me talking. I'm not pointing, like, my finger at the refs or at Vicious or anyone. I'm just curious why it's so hard for it to be legitimized. And if it's not legitimized then shouldn't we be changing the rules of penalties to begin with? I mean, this happens every year. Yeah, well, the penalties uh, and, and the specific incident that you're talking about, I don't have any answers for you. Um, I do remember that incident, but, dude, <laughs> um, I, I have no idea, man. I mean, it, it's tough to, when it, even when there's a legit – sometimes I can see a legit penalty, sometimes I can't um because of the distance and then you know we don't yeah. we don't have every angle so you know and I, everything happens so fast I mean, and everything happens, happens so fast and exactly so you know the with the penalties i think that trying you know it, these guys are out there trying to ref the best they can obviously and the yeah. league tries to put the best refs that it can afford out there on the yes. field um and these rules have literally been and i know it may seem like minor changes but you know when you look at where we are now and where we've come from, yeah. um, these things have been tried to at least be attended to, you know, it's not like, you know, and I may sound like I'm defending the powers that be, but this shit is just true. Well, no, you know? I, I think because, you're right in that those powers that be believe in the integrity of the sport. And, and, and as a it, cameraman and as a developer myself, like I, I firmly believe everyone on that field meant to do what they meant to do for the integrity of the match, the integrity of the sport, the integrity of the World Cup. They wanted to find the legitimate champion. However, if you think that a penalty in the Dorito side corner in the last milliseconds of a match that is or is not, I mean, it's arguable that it even happened, let alone whether it was legitimate, for, for you to throw a major penalty that's not only going to throw the whole swing point BS, and then on top of that, make the overtime point four on five, if you think that is the uh, right call for the integrity of, of World Cup, you're smoking some shit. Like, <laughs> like, it just does not make sense. Yeah. Again, I think that, you know, and again, dude, I, I don't disagree with you. I just, I, I mean, dude, I've been, I've been screwed over so many times by calls. Yeah. It's not even funny. That's paintball. And that's and, what everybody chalks it up to is that's paintball. Yeah. And, and that's the tough thing because, you know, it's not like we can, uh, you know, electrify the paintball so that you, when you get shot, you literally get electrocuted and then that you're there's done. there's an idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how long have you had that up your sleeve and you haven't told anybody? Oh, about dude, that. I've been I mean, si- I've on. been sitting on that for years, dude. Years. Jesus. I've been trying. Well, it's currently in its patent. Uh, it's it's in the patent process <laughs> right now, so I really can't divulge any more information about my my, my specs. No, uh, I do have a funny story actually about a. Uh, there's, it, I don't. I, we can get into this later, but I have a funny story about electrocution and like you know simulated combat, but that's for maybe later on or another day. But anyway, but back to the, what, what we're speaking about. 
Um, you know, it, it's tough, man. Uh, having been someone who, you know, when that joy, like if we go back to the uh, Joy Dynasty game that happened at Riverside, uh, was that Riverside? L.A., whatever, it was California. And uh, that screwed excessive out of a series championship. That cost us a lot of money. And, yeah. um, and that was a totally blown call by the situation. But when I was asked about that situation, having been personally screwed out of not only money, bonus money that we were going to get from sponsors, and yeah. having another world championship underneath, or a series championship underneath the, the, my belt, you know, and my stripes or whatever the hell, you know, stupid ego filled bullshit that we decide that it means a lot to us, you know, in the long run. But, um, but still when people asked me about that situation and they're like, yeah, you know, cause dude, joy division who I played for was completely up in arms. Oh, I just now I remember what match you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, it's like Frazier and, and Brian Cole yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, Jedi mind tricked, uh, the referee that was left alive and joy got screwed out of that game. And, yeah. um, and when I was asked about that, you know, I, I, I said my official statement pretty much, and I stick to this till the day, to this day, just because of, look, dude, paintball is incredibly difficult to officiate um, because of yeah, the innate absolutely. realities of the game. And, and like, and that's why, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's really true because it, without the, the ability to, with, you know, I mean, with ultimate certainty, decide what did or didn't happen. I mean, you know, when you're talking about, I mean, dude, even in baseball and football and basketball, which have relatively easy action to, to comprehend and understand and mm-hmm. much more, uh, my, much of them, they're under way bigger of a microscope. They still screw calls up. And, yeah. and that, and we're, and these, and you know, baseball in a professional arena has been around for 130 years. And, uh, and, and football, you know, has been around professionally since 1950s-ish. And, um, and they still can't get it right. With all the instant replay and all the billions of dollars that they sure. have, they still can't get it right. And that is a much easier game to not only comprehend, but also to officiate. Um, yes. And again, dude, I'm not making excuses. This is just, to me, an explanation. And because right. and, I, and I want it to I, be better, too, you know? And nor am I pointing fingers saying that this is bogus or bullshit. I know that everyone is doing the best they can. However, I mean, they're adjusting how the game is played every year. For example, now, when you get a major penalty, what is it, one point or two points if you lose, the major penalty comes off. So clearly, the effectiveness of major penalty is a point of concern. But... I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal how these little changes have to be played out until the end where they go, okay, we need to adjust it again. I mean, major, I've always had a huge quarrel with major penalties, not because of Texas storming, dating all the way back to Texas phenomenon days. The whole, the very concept of a blanketed rule behind if you play on and uh, you have a hit on you, whether you know it or you're not, if if the official deems it as a, a, a hit that should have been noticed regardless of the situation it's two people plus a body like i mean what if the guy like runs into the snake has a hit on his pack doesn't shoot anyone no one shoots at him but because he played on and because the official believes it to be a major penalty he just screwed them out of a very huge swing point now conceptually you and i can sit here around the table and go yeah we should give the power to make a decision whether it be a minor or major and you know okay maybe even if it's a major but you don't pull bodies or something like that. We can sit here and talk like logic. But the reality is that how many people are actually making these decisions? And do they even play paintball, like current level paintball? I mean, I, I'm asking that because I truly don't know. Uh, 
The paint or the refs that are on the PSP Pro field, um, as far as I know, yeah, they either you know dabble or had played very competitively before. Um, but you know, think about it this way: there's let's say there's four thousand players or whatever at World Cup or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Those are all players. They all want to play. They don't want to ref. And uh, so you know that kind of goes back to personnel and it's like well how do we get you know i mean those guys that have been doing that job have been doing most of them some of them have been doing it for a long period of time and uh and they're the best guys that the psp can get and and trust me they're they're looking you know i mean they and and they fire rest on a regular not i wouldn't say on a regular basis but you know it's not like once you get your once you get your psp pro ref job like oh that's it i got my tenure baby i'm yeah you know i'm good to go i can't i can't screw up and and, you know this job is assured as long as i want to do it no they're you know they're they do ride those guys pretty hard um and also you know it's like guys get to go out and play one game and then leave and then go sit in the shade and then come out and play another game later and they play two games in a day those referees are out there for 12 games a day three games three days a row and then they're forced or they're, they're put in a situation where they have to make those best you know my mind needs to be at its freshest call at the latest stages of that physical trial. Well, therein lies our problem then. If the officiating is affecting the outcome of the game so drastically, and the officiating is such a brittle situation and such a difficult situation, then I I think I would start there. That's your ground zero for the point of, of concern in paintball to begin with. And I guess that's my underlying point of this whole conversation, this question, was... Is something being done about it? Who's who's doing something about it? And uh, and you know we should take it from there. But it feels like again from a perspective of a, a videographer that the integrity of the game. The Texas Storm is happy, by the way. They they left World Cup with smiles on their face. Trust me, all they cared about was making uh, Champions Division. Yes, it was a setback not winning World Cup. They were all pissed about that. But I mean, the, in, at the end of the day, the blown call doesn't drastically affect them for me as a videographer however i was livid i was so pissed that my cinderella story was went from i have to finish this film from oh my god they finally won and they won at world cup and they're going to move on to champions division in 2014 to oh my god they won world cup they lost world cup and now i gotta explain it yeah (laughs) which and only says, you know, he liked the ending the way it did. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, the ending was perfect. It's like something that adds emotion to what... I mean, my problem with movies in general is that they always end how you think they're going to end. And I think that the little twist at the end of our movie is kind of what makes it viewable. It's kind of what makes it have, like, em, like, create emotion within every single person that watches it because you can see in the video, like, yeah, we won that event. And to kind of see how right afterwards we didn't win that event, even from sitting right behind a computer screen, you can understand, you can have some sort of sentiment with that and feel exactly what we felt. Obviously not to the, quite the extent, but to understand that that's what we went through is but what that, makes that video. Yeah. Anyway, my, my point of that is I, I don't like it. I hope they change something about it. And, uh, and I think that's ground zero for why Red Bull won't touch it or why monster won't touch it is because it's so finicky. It's so, it's not only hard to watch, but when, as soon as you start to get a grasp on, okay, team a is winning. Okay. What's that red thing in the air? And why are they so far behind now? Like, (laughs) like that, that to me, I think is probably 
our fundamental concern. Well, I would agree that the finicky nature of the sport and its inability to retain a, uh, you know, a form for, you know, and yes, it, it has been relatively the same for, for a while. You go now. to halves. I mean, like the going to halves thing is an immediate solution for, for a lot of these concerns. Maybe it's an issue elsewhere, maybe like I, that I don't know about, maybe paint shot, maybe production-wise, maybe time on the field. I have no idea. It's, it's all that. Okay. All of, <laughs> all, all of those things, that, That's friend. what I assumed. But if, if the length of the matches were longer and it was based on the length of the halves and the emphasis on getting seven points for, uh, for the match to be over was out the window, then the emphasis of a three-for-one and a body in the box would go down. However, it would still have its own, you know, punishment. So I don't know. I, there needs to be a happy medium, maybe. Yeah, and you know, we did halves for obviously a long period of time, and um, you know, a lot of this stuff too is it's again, it's it's easy to look at it now and go, oh, we need to do this, this, and this. Yeah. Not yeah. not understanding the context of where we've come from and the times in which those things did come from. So, you know, another thing that it's like, well, I mean, dude, shit. To be honest. Paintball is even lucky the PSP is still around because yeah. the MPPL has gone out of business three separate times. And if it wasn't for people coming in, pumping money into it, and then losing that money, and then it going out of business permanently, there is no MPPL anymore. Well, I guess Chuck's still trying to do something with it, but um, trying to have a Huntington Beach. But now the MPPL, because of su such uh, you know, consumer feedback, essentially negative feedback of throwing bad events, or throwing these, you know, smaller events that weren't to the customer satisfaction, even though they did have, you know, we ended up with a small boutique league. And dude, and I was there for all that, so I know the struggles that they went through. But yeah, you know, the, but a lot of money was lost, and that that they went out of business. So then the PSP at the time, you know, in the, during the MPPL PSP wars, which is pretty much which is over now, but um, you know, so the PSP was fighting to remain solvent as well. So they, you know, did cost cutting measures like going back to paintball fields, which is still in effect. And so, so the PSP by, you know, focusing more on trying to, you know, let's keep paintball at its roots was able to then survive. And then now in the past two years, you know, I mean, last year, the PSP was up 15 to 20% at each event as far as participation yeah. was concerned. Um, and so, and then not only that, throw in the Great Recession, which, let me tell you, waved a gigantic goddamn sigh through the sport itself. Multiple companies <laughs> went out of business. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you know, it's like dudes lost sponsorship. I mean, it was a brutal, brutal time. 2008, 2009, I mean, shit, the PSP went to four events for a year. And they did that to, to survive. And, and, then, and then we didn't even know where the world was going, you know. So guys are making capital expenditures on infrastructure, not even knowing if the world's going to blow apart or not, you know. So it was like, it was a very, you know, it was, uh, the, you know, the, the, the bubble happened and no one really knew what the hell they were doing. And, uh, and then, you know, then the recession hit. And so then it was survival mode. And so though these are incredibly important questions, and I agree with you 100% that, you know, these things need to be constantly looked at and, you know, try to be tweaked, which is, you know, what the, those guys are doing. And again, I, I, I don't have power over this, you know, like I, I can't no, go no, and no. make and these decisions. My, my, me bringing it up is not me going, why are you not doing about it? Why are they <laughs> not doing about it? Because obviously yeah. there, it is a point of concern. Totally. And you can see that because it, there are adjustments made every year. Absolutely. However, where, where my frustration lies with the sport is from a perspective standpoint, not a player standpoint, is that it is so hard 
for me not to go, you know, like, well, that's why, I mean, I constantly say, it, well, that's why no one wants to bring money into the sport is because it's, that it's so finicky and that things get adjusted on a level, competitively on a level, on a day-to-day basis. Not, not, I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about points. How, how did he get a point? Why is this, you know, why is this penalty affecting it so much, et cetera, et cetera, to where your viewership is lost? And you of all people should know that, I mean, you do know and you do emphasize it quite a bit that viewership has to be, and it has, it has to continue to be improved. And my only concern is that I feel like they're working against you, is that the rules that are set up and the, the penalties that are set up and how, how the game plays out are working against viewership on a daily basis. And I just, I hope that you and the league are working together. Like, I hope that's the, the, the consensus. Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely work, you know, with closely with the league um, as much as I can. My issue is that, um, you know, I, I, you know, hey, man, I, I feel you on these sorts of things, and and uh, you know, there are certain changes to the game that I would like to make, but things kind of take some time, and then also it's like, you know, yeah. It's like, dude, I've got my hands full, you know? I mean, not only am I trapped sure. in that tower for 30 hours a weekend, but I produce... <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine uh, what that's But like. I produce the show, too. So I'm producing the show. I deal with all the advertisers, and I deal with all the players, and I deal with our crew. So it's like just my nuts and bolts of existing, of just getting it out to the people in the best way we possibly can with with the resources that we have, you know, and we don't, and it's so, and it's funny cause, and I totally appreciate this is like, I feel like this is a compliment, but when people all get, you know, messages all the time and by all means, please keep sending me these messages. I appreciate, I do appreciate it. But people will be like, Oh dude, I love what you guys are doing. It's sick. However, I was watching the NFL last weekend and, uh, and then just insert really expensive, awesome concept of filming yeah. here, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let, let's, and then I, you know, I'm like, let's keep things in perspective. I have so much of a fraction of the NFL's budget to produce one broadcast, one, just one game that they produce, not the 30 games that they, or whatever many games they produce in a weekend. But in order to, to, to do a, uh, you know, an NFL broadcast, they have 150 crew, 150 people on the crew. They have four broadcast trucks, one of which is devoted solely to the, uh, the actual cable cam. The other three are for the broadcast. And direction. Yeah, and, um, and they have a ridiculous amount of, uh, of arsenal of, of, of things that they can throw, of money, money, money and people um, that they throw at this stuff. And, uh, you know, our... Well, that's what I'm trying to say, is that if that money came into the sport, if the fundamentals of paintball are corrected, if the refing is, is situated to where it's viewable, then the money can come in, including money to alleviate the stress of how much the cost is, including the cost of production, which would continue to bring in new money, which means growth. So I agree with you that that is the issue. I just don't see where the adjustment will ever come from. Uh, that's my point of concern. But anyway, we beat that one to a dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do agree with you that you know things need to be changed still. Um, but just having been there in the fight... Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to make it the best that they can. I mean, like for instance, with the refing thing, like they hired Paul Richards on to kind of oversee rules and stuff. And Paul's been one of the most vocal opponents of a lot of this for a long time. So hopefully he'll be able to, you know, get in there and, and and hope that and make things better. Um, I'm still just super bitter that I had to change my ending. <laughs> I can probably really, cause you don't come off bitter as all at all right now. Not, not in the least. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, but yeah, I, but I so I totally agree with you that we need to constantly monitor that sort of stuff and 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 try to change things for the better. But I do not agree necessarily that uh, it's just the finicky nature of the penalties, for instance, that is keeping outside sponsors from putting money into the game. I think that um, because the principle behind PBA and what we're trying to do this year is to go after outside sponsors with you know, the numbers that we have uh, and and what we've built. And that was the whole thing because before it was kind of like winging a prayer type stuff where you'd be like, all right, well, you know, Vault Coke has invented a new energy drink and they want to do a paintball show. Tight. All right, let's do it. Before that, it was Dick Clark has come in and bought the rights to the NXL and the NXL was created. And again, there's like so much of this history that kind of plays into this. I think it's more of, you know, before we started PBA, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to go to, you know, there's, there's no focal point. We didn't, we had tournaments, but you know, I mean, just the people going to the tournament itself is, you know, we can't go to these big companies and say, Hey, you need to give us a million dollars to do a TV show. You know, they laugh in our faces. So we're trying to build something um, from the ground up that, that we can possibly, you know, that, that we can present to the outside world and say, hey, look, we got a sweet spot demographic. We got good numbers for, you know, what we're asking for. Um, these are people that are passionate about uh, what what they believe in and want to spend money on things. It's very expensive to play paintball, you know. So even if these are lower, some of the people are lower income, they still spend money on things they're passionate about. So it's like we're trying to build up a presentation to take to these people and give it to them and hopefully have somebody bite on it. So and and I, and another thing too is I think that at least from my experience of talking to people that have talk to these guys because I, I haven't sit, sat in any of these meetings I just hear from you know the powers that be and multiple you know across the years of the leagues and then they will say oh so and so from here said this in a meeting or this and that or I talked to a producer or whatever the hell and uh, a lot of it is that you have um, you know, now things have changed a lot in 10 years. You know, you have people that have, you know, hopefully moved into these marketing positions that are, you know, because of the diffusion of technology, the diffusion of media, and everyone's competing for, everyone's always competing for attention spans, but the proliferation of ways to do that has gone crazy in the past 10 years. And I think that hopefully we can find some, you know, creative marketing guys that realize that there is this, you know, untapped poten potential marketplace for a brand, for logos, um, that these people are passionate about what they do. This is the sweet spot demographic as far as, you know, the consumer is concerned. And hopefully those people will be open to, you know, partnering up with Paintball now that we've tried to, again, you know, and now that the PSP has kind of won the MPPL PSP war. And that was another thing too. It's like when you went in and there was two competing leagues, it's like, well, all right, well, you know, yeah. who's Paintball? Is it the MPPL? Is it the PSP? Is it, you know, what, I mean, it's like, this is weird because we don't know what's going on. So that I think was another big problem for a while too. And that, you know, and that just recently happened. I mean, the MPPL just stopped. You know, again, maybe there's going to be Huntington Beach this year. Maybe there's not. And yes, the APL is going to start up. So, not to mention European too. Millennium Series yeah. is a different set of rules. The ref differently as well, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, so, I agree with you. Yeah. So, but the, ultimately, yeah, like everybody wants the same thing. Yeah. Everybody wants the the end goal to be uh, more paintball. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and but to me, it's like I you know yes, I do think about these things and I think about them all the time, but. You know, it's just like building a team, man. I mean, I'm just trying to have a long-term vision on this and do what I can with what I have and do my job right, you know? So right. it's like, and that's, at the end of the day, all you can really, like, I sleep well at night knowing I, you know, I'm trying to do the best job that I can with what I'm given to do that job and uh, and try to, you know, tell people's stories as much as possible. You know, I mean, that's why we do I got this. an idea for yes. the next podcast. Yes. We go, get, we go get the head ref of the Texas Storm Vicious match. <laughs> And and you get me on there, and you and him and I are gonna have a nice little conversation. <laughs> yeah. Which but, one was it? I mean, yeah. I have no clue, man. It's the head ref. I've only been playing name? there for a year, bro. It definitely uh, wasn't Tony. It wasn't Tony. I don't think so. 
That's like, I don't know, who knows. My question to you, Maddie, is, um, so as a paintball player, obviously, what is exciting about the game? Like when I watch, I think the reason obviously that money comes into other sports is because they're exciting. There's something inherently exciting about watching a dude do three backflips on a motorcycle because he's risking his life. The problem with paintball for me is that there isn't one thing that you can point to that's exciting. There's really nothing exciting about it. It's five dudes, and especially the way the league has kind of played out this year, it's five dudes executing one game plan that people can't understand. So if you can't understand the game plan, like for me, I love watching paintball. I literally sit at night in my bed, and this is gonna sound really nerdy, but I sit in my bed, and pretty much half of Texas Storm does this. We watch paintball access uh, raw footage every night. We just watch matches, because that's the best way to learn. If you watch the best players, you'll know exactly what to do when you get to the field. But for anybody else, what is exciting about those webcasts? Like, what is one point that we should be emphasizing as like a community of why you should play paintball? Because I always say, like, oh, you know, when I play paintball, there's such an adrenaline rush. There's running through my brain. You're like, oh, yeah, because it hurts bad, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. not because not it hurts bad. You know, it's like, so what is that one thing that we can emphasize, like, on the field? at the events, anything, to people who live in, like, Dubstep who live around me. Ah, but that's not that exciting. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Dub, <laughs> dubstep and breakouts. Dubstep and breakouts. <laughs> um, bunkerings. Uh, that's a good question, man. Um, well, to me, what I find fascinating about the game is that, and um, I think me and Nick Laval in our podcast had a pretty interesting conversation about this. And this actually is kind of a reoccurring theme. Um, but to me, paintball is a very special trial. And, uh, but it's, dude, I've seen so much paintball and I watch so much paintball. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not even funny, but, uh, I mean, I watched every point from last season, many of them multiple times. And, uh, yeah. of every single game of every team. But, uh, but the thing is, is that, you know, the, 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 the battle that's playing out there to your casual viewer is not the battle I'm watching because, exactly. you know, because uh, to me, it's like when the Ironmen take the field to play infamous, what's happening out there at that particular point in time is a, is a renewed battle between a two teams that have been playing each other in one way, shape or form for over 10 years. And I know every dude on those teams, and I know how many babies they have. I know, you know, I know most things about them as much as I can, um, you know, given time and relationships. So, and I know their struggles. So when I see a, a somebody succeed, like for instance, X Factor winning the World Cup this year. Oh man, I got the tingles when those guys get that touchy feely feeling when those when those guys won because I know how hard that struggle's been to get back to the top. And so it's that it's that mental struggle of failure and success riding at every single point, every single gunfight, every single snapshot. And having done that myself and knowing how hard it is to try to compete at that high level, um, that's what's compelling. The storylines, that's what's compelling. The battle itself. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's an intricate fight uh, and it, it is very complex, but it, it's like, you know, it has that, you know, it looks simple. It's just guys shooting guns at each other. But, right. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, well, I love watching MMA, too, even when they're on the ground, because, yeah, it's just two dudes trying to punch each other in the face or twist their arms off. But there's a lot more to it behind that. And that's when I'm, I'm as much as they I actually they emphasize it quite a bit it, right before every fight on pay-per-view UFC. They have like a little mini documentary play oh, a million about percent. what, yeah, what they do like at their gym and what they do at home or what what was his struggle to get there? Like recently, that guy with Katrina, like his house literally went underwater 
like hours before his match in the UFC <laughs> and like and he had to go you know go fight for his life basically yeah and that to me is interesting and that is that that's what I want to see I want to see who wins those struggles and I want to see when you're tested what what are you made of and um, to me, that's what, the, that's what the paintball life was for me. It was about adventure. It was about a personal test. Um, and it was about seeing what I was made of. And, so more documentaries. Well, Literally. more narratives. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't need to, you know, a documentary is one type of a narrative. Commentary, another type of narrative. Podcast. It, it's just, it, it's one of those things. It's, and uh, it, 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 essentially, we're just, we're laying maven traps. You know, I mean, Mavens is somebody, a Maven is a person who pathologically collects information about things. They're, they're passionate. They're like the Uber fan, right? And so you have to, it, it goes back to what I was saying before. No one cares about anything until you make them care. And uh, Dan Napoli, who I work with a lot of times, when I need to, like, if we're working on a project and I'm writing a piece of narration or I'm doing something or I got to talk to somebody or whatever the hell it is, and it's important, and, and there's like a, you know, like a, he, he, sometimes he won't even give me direction. He'll be like, we need to go this way with it, but, and he'll just think of it and he'll be like, just make them understand. Make right. them understand. That is my imperative. And, um, and so that is what I would say to you. You know, it's like if you want to, you know, it's like anytime there's a camera put on you or you're, you know, it's like, why should people care? If you can't answer that question, then it's no one's ever going to care. And that's why, you know, I, I, I'm kind of not a fan of super vanilla interviews um, because it, and I understand and I, and I respect the professionalism that a lot of guys bring to it. But, you know, and I'm not I don't want to turn this into the WWE. I just want it to be emotionally authentic because that's yeah, that's yeah. that's what compels me. I'm compelled by emotional authenticity. That is what. Uh, fascinates me if I'm reading a novel and somebody's been able to craft and create that using, you know, the clay of words. I'm interested in documentaries that are, re that's why I love documentaries is because, you know, I mean, in order for somebody to do a documentary on it, it's got to be compelling, you know, so I just, I want to be moved. I want to be compelled. And paintball has this weird mix of, you know, athleticism and I, I love, I've always loved guns. So that's a kind of a base <laughs> element to it. You know, it's ultimately that question, you know, it's like if we actually got in a real gunfight and yes, paintball guns are not real guns and it's not a direct similarity or not a direct parallel, but it's pretty goddamn close. And, uh, if you're really close to each other, you I know, I always wonder that. <laughs> Um, that would ever help me if I was in a real gun battle. <laughs> it absolutely would, my friend. We've done a decent amount of military training over the day, over the day or years, and uh, like played um, the opposition force called Op Four for, you know, trained against seals and scout snipers and cops and sheriffs and SWAT dudes and I mean, you know, reservists. And uh, you know, again, not real guns, so it's not the same thing. And, and I don't want to take anything away from those, you know, men and what they do to, you know, protect our civilization and. And how hard that is, but dude, we murder these guys when we go out and play them in, in training ops. It's not even funny. Murder um, being, a, I guess, a decent choice of words, but uh, we'll continue. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's, yeah. Well, again, it's a metaphor. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and but that's why, but that's why paintball is interesting. So you know, there's a there's numbers of there's different levels working here. One, we're playing war. You know, let's just call it for what it is. Okay, I mean, it's as colorful as the bunkers are, and as cool as the gun looks, and they don't look like guns, and whatever. It, it's it's a it's a battle metaphor. And that is intense and it's interesting. And so, yes, paintball is, you know, it's not, it's not warfare, but it's simulated, some sort of simulated martial arts, some sort of combat. You know, you have a weapon and I have a weapon and we're going to play this game where we simulate what would happen if we were in a gunfight. You know, that's where paintball came from. And it's, yeah, it's changed a lot, but it's the same damn thing. Let's go back to the woods and just put cameras in the trees. <laughs> Dude, I love playing in the woods, man. That's that's it's really fun. So those are so that's what's compelling me. One shooting these, you know, 
play guns at each other. And I did that as a child and loved it. And so when I found paintball, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is the deal right here. This is so fun. Um, it is incredibly fun. So there's an there's element that to Batman that. voice again on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, so there's multiple levels going on. And so to answer your question, there's all these different things, these elements to the game that play out, plays out. Each personal story, the team story, the actual skill of the game itself being played out, the metaphor of life and death, all of these elements come to bear in one game. That game's called Paintball, and that's why it's fascinating to me, and I'm still into it after all these years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, uh, in like the, I think that's one of the things that people need to understand more. Like in, in the cut that Cena's going to put out for the documentary or for the uh, film festival the documentary has like little parts explaining what even like laning is. And I know you toss in a lot of that stuff with, with paintball access. You'll like every once in a while, just kind of on like a side note, you'll explain something that's super simple that somebody who might have already understood that playing paintball will get it. But every time you say it, I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. Like somebody who is watching paintball that doesn't watching this, that doesn't know what paintball is finally, you know, like Maddie Marshall nailed it with that one. So like, I would uh, commend you on those and tell you to keep doing those because every time I hear you do one of those, I think it's just perfect for the sport because it kind of gives you a little bit of insight as to what's going on. I, I try to incorporate as much of that as I can. It, it's just it's a really kind of a tough gig because, you know, you're, you're you know, our average viewer watches for two hours and 12 minutes. It's a long time. Um, wow. So they get used to me saying, you know, and there's only so many. I mean, <laughs> dude, I got an English degree. I'm a writer. I don't mind talking. And I, right. I run out of stuff to talk about. You know, I mean, it's there's, it's because uh, you're talking about the same thing over and over and over again. Know, and it's funny because we'll make fun of like Crystal Soy and his little <laughs> one liners sometimes. We're like, where do you get that from? But people, <laughs> you know, forget like he's been on that podium. You've been on that podium for like, what, 12 hours. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I mean, whatever it is, what it is, it's part of the deal. So you just, you know, you just try to find new ways to say things. And, you know, if it works, you just keep, you know, it's like, all right, I said it, I said he stabbed him two games ago. This is actually the stuff that runs through my head while I'm doing commentary. I'd be like, okay, well, I said he stabbed him two games ago. So I need to say, you know, something different right now. And then so I like, you know, and then, and then it's like, it's gotten to the point where there's like an actual drinking game, you know? So it's like, I don't know if you guys have seen that online, but you know, anytime that we say something that we say a lot, then you got to drink and it's, I love it. I think it's hilarious. And I'll, yeah. I will, I will intentionally sometimes say what, you know, All right. <laughs> yeah, I will intentionally say something that I know is going to make the drink dudes playing the drinking game drink, um, on purpose, well, knowing that, that do you do the all right thing on purpose. Do you even realize that you do that? The, uh, the intro, like the, all right, here all we are. All right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think that's the most talked about on Texas storm. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the, you know, Goldberg, like, here we go. I don't know, man. You know, again, dude, I'm just like filling air, it's brother. Filling air, yeah. dude, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it, 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 you just try to, I don't know, you try to get as inventive as you can within the context of what the hell's going on. And, and yeah, and with those things, it's, you know, I understand that the, there is a, most, a lot of, most of our audience is probably dudes that play at least somewhat competitively or they're, or they're familiar with the game, but, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe they're catching it for the first time. And so I try to insert those little nuggets of explanation and exposition into the overall context of what it is that's happening on the field. You know, so it's it's the narrate, it's the actual um, the game itself, what's happening, who's playing it, what's going on, you know, scene set setting. And then, boom, try to throw those little nuggets in. I try to put them in enough so that 
it's informative, but not enough that it's like, dude, shut up, bro. Okay, I know. No, no, Talked about laning like 15 times today. You know? Right, 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 right. No, PBA is the pinnacle of one of the, I would say, one, the one, if not the only reason why, um, not the only reason, but the, one of the biggest reasons why paintball has grown at all since the recession and the ability for us to follow the teams and start to generate that want to hear the stories. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we see we see uh, this new team royalty. Well, where are they from? Who are these people? Or are, are they even a new team? Like, if, if they were constantly like a fourth or fifth place finisher and we never saw them on the podium, then we would never want to know their story. The same, excuse me, the same thing for Texas Storm is that, you know, they were always kind of a, prior to the D1 push that they did, it was like a middle of the pack team. It wasn't a, they they had did have their championship days, but like until we want to know their story, to generate that the the need for the story, I think PBA was like the 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 greatest solution of all solutions for paintball, and I hope I hope they pay you guys billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. And the Honestly, last the like, last time I, would, I checked, no, I do not have a billion dollars in my bank well, account. <laughs> I was gonna commentate the the video myself or find someone else to commentate. I think I asked you to do it. You never responded, jerk. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the commentation of the actual event happening turned out perfect. And I actually clipped out, you know, TV magic took sayings out of conversations that you had with other matches <laughs> and just put them on the Texas Storm matches. I think I did that once. Uh, because I needed you to say something like, you know, this match is so close or something like that. And I would like kind of play with it the same way. I know Dirter does this as well. And I do it where in the one-on-one in the documentary, Omi talks about how he shot him because he was leaning out to the right and he was going to come out in his right hand. He knew he was going to come out in his right hand. So I just found a clip of one of the royalty guys getting shot on his right hand (laughs) and like, but anyway, it worked out perfect. Your commentating was great. And uh, <laughs> thank you for commentating the documentary. Well, uh, yay, man. I'm glad you got creative with it because, you know, <laughs> that's just how things have to get done sometimes because there's just no other way to, you know, if you, if you need a piece, you got to get it done. Find so, it. That's, that's, that's pretty sweet. But, yeah, it's, uh, I just think that. By the way, I pirated every single one of those. I hope you guys don't mind. Like, I literally pirated all your YouTube videos for the documentary. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, uh, I, I love the inclusion of the uh, of how you integrated it in and thought it was uh, very artfully done. So, yeah, uh, great A work, my friend. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. And I, I just think that, you know, if, if you're out there listening to this, look at what these two guys have done, you know, with very limited tools and just some and a little, you know, they've learned how to obviously craft this. But you, you yourself, you know, just kind of got into this. But, you know, you had an interesting story, you had the means to create it and an idea to do it, and then you executed it, and I'm sure learned a lot along the way. And um, and I think that that's important because, you know, re- reach is power. And the more that it's like, you know, we, we do have 200 pro players. There's, you know, all these teams now that are, you know, pro, champs and challengers, 10 guys in each team, 20 teams. That's like 200 guys. And then, you know, if you take it down further to all of these other divisional teams that have interesting stories... And if, if you if you're not passionate about your own story, who who the hell is going to care? And, uh, yeah. and and I think that that's a really important thing. You know, there's a lot of different ways to tell your story out there, and and you can't just expect it. You know, there are no magazines. You know, I mean, there's the way that you know with the 
the you know print media has uh, gra- drastically declined, and and so we don't really have a lot of outlets, but we do have you know the most amazing goddamn machine or device ever to get your story out there. It's called the internet, and uh, yeah. and to uh, you know there's just there are creative ways to get your story out there, and the more fans you have, the more reach you have, the more people care about what's going on, the more that you're going to be able, the more. The more fans you have, the more money you're going to be able to get from your sponsors. Um, because if you don't own a store or a field and you can't actually generate sales for your sponsors and you're going to somebody saying, hey, we love paintball, we want a sponsorship, well, what can you do for them? But if you have a, 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 a bigger following because you have a compelling narrative and you've been honest in telling it, you know, people want to, people want to follow stuff like that. They want, to peop, they want to follow people that are authentic about their lives. And, and I just think that, you know, look at what these guys have done and, and take that as a lesson. I th- and that's why I'm, I'm just a huge fan of what you guys have done because we need more, we need more of that, you know? And I think that because, you know, what paintball may not have, you know, we don't have the frittatas that the billion dollar owners of, of the UFC. Um, and it was interesting because when you, you know, you listen to the, the, how they were able to catapult the UFC from being $40 million in the red to being worth a billion dollars is uh, they did it on the back of stories and heroes. And they had a, you know, they had a pretty compelling a battle that was happening out there, but it was faltering in the marketplace. And they, I mean, have you guys heard this story before, the of how the UFC was saved through their their reality show? Um, I watched a little bit of it, but I did understand the the acquisition part. I never actually understood the the underlying part though. Well, essentially, the, you know, the UFC was not doing well, and uh, you know, the Fatadas came in and bought. Um, they bought the UFC for, I think it was $4 million, and they didn't actually buy any assets. Um, they were just buying the name, and the, the lawyer for the brothers said to them, they're like, this is the dumbest business decision that you've ever made. And, uh, and they were like, no, it's not. We're, he said, this is the dumbest business, business decision you've ever made because you're not actually buying anything. You're not buying anything. You're not, you're not purchasing an asset. And he's like, you're so wrong, and I'm going to show you. And um, you know they had deep pockets because they own casinos and Rogan Joe Rogan was actually interviewed at one point he's like you know we always said that man what needs to happen is like you know some billionaire needs to buy this thing and uh and we actually didn't actually think it was going to happen so then they bought the thing and then they you know Dana White came on as the prime mover behind it and so that the three of them went up about and started building the you know trying to do some events and build the UFC up but they ran it you know into a 40 million dollar deficit and uh and they were going to sell it they were going to dissolve it or sell it because they, you know, couldn't keep burning money uh, to the tune of, you know, $40 million. And so they, you know, they had this concept that, you know, that it's a fundamental, it's like Dana White always says, I don't care what language you speak, I don't care what country you live in, you're a human being and fighting is in your DNA. And, uh, and so they knew they had something there, but they didn't. They, and they, what they wanted to do was get a reality show to kind of show these guys behind the scenes and see that, you know, compelling personalities that exist in these fighters, which I think is a direct parallel to, in many ways, to paintball, um, because there are so many p- compelling personalities, for good or bad, that play the game and, uh, and are super passionate about it and devote a lot of time and effort and love into it um, for no reward, pretty much. And, uh, and so they went to every major network and pitched the ultimate fighter concept. No one bought it. No one bought it. And they went to Spike, and they were like, and Spike didn't want it either. But Spike did say that if they fronted the production cost for it, that they'd put it on. So it cost them $10 million to put that show on TV. They paid for the production cost themselves. Wow. And, uh, and, and, and this is why uh, both Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner are f- lifetime employees of, of 
of the UFC, and Dana White's been on record many times of saying that the Ultimate Fighter show saved the UFC and that those guys have a job for life. And even and Stephen Bonner even got inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. And there were all these, you know, fans that were just that didn't understand the big picture. And they were like, this is bullshit. You know, he his record is subpar and he didn't really fight anybody big. And or anytime he did, he lost those fights. And like, you know, why is Stephen Bonner getting in the UFC or getting in the Hall of Fame? And and Dana White was like, I'll tell you why. Because I make the goddamn decisions of who gets in the Hall of Fame or not. And that guy helped save the damn company. So that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Because if it wasn't for him and Forrest Griffin beating the living shit out of each other in that ultimate crazy fight the finale that they had which is still one of the best UFC fights I've ever seen and I, I watched it live that day and uh and it was mind-blowing how awesome it was and and that fight catapulted them into another season of the ultimate fighter and then now they're what 17 right. seasons in with multiple iterations of it around the world and right. the company's worth a billion bucks but they focused on heroes and they built up these stars because people want to know you know it's like love them or hate them you want to see what's going to happen to them and it goes back to what i was saying in that anderson silva documentary because as soon as anderson silva finished that interview then ed soros is shown taking a phone call where he's sitting there st talking to the camera and he's like yeah you know, I mean, Anderson, either he doesn't know that this is the way the game needs to be played or he doesn't want to play the game this way. Either way, we're 10 days before the fight. What am I supposed to tell him? I'm mean, supposed to confront him about this. And he looks at his phone. And it's Dana White. He's like, oh, he's Christ. Dana White's calling me. Hold on. And he goes in the corner. And you can see he's pretty much getting yelled at. And then he gets off the phone and he's like, yeah, it was Dana White. And he said, you know, it's times like this that I just want to let Anderson Silva go, you know, because I don't want it, the headache. Basically, like Dana White was willing to cut the greatest fighter on earth because he won't play the game the way it's supposed to be played to run a business. You know, so it's right. like and that's the thing. It's like as professional players, you know, and I, I like I've said this to many of my friends that are, you know, pros right now. And I'm like, dude, you know, you are delusional if you think that people are just going to tune in to watch you just play the game. You know, they want to know why, and because that's the way humans' brains work. And if we can't develop that, and, it, and you know, it's, it's one of those things, like, we don't have billionaire owners that can go $40 million in the hole and fund whole TV shows themselves. And even though that has happened before in a smaller sense, um, but it, was, it wasn't done and executed around story. It was done around spectacle. And again, that spectacle sometimes can be confusing. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of with, you know, it's like, we're trying to do as much as we can with what we have goes back to that and, uh, and move the ball slowly forward because, you know, it's not about doing something amazing once. It's about doing something that's pretty damn awesome. You do it on a regular basis. It creates a destination point. People know what they're going to get. They know where they're going to get it. And, uh, and then you build a following. And that's kind of what we're, that's what, that is what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, a, and a very common example is what Omi talked about earlier, that, that documentary at MPPL, I think it was Unknown Soldiers. That's that, the one. Yeah, those guys were like division three, maybe four, I don't know, lower division. And they just made a, a documentary about their travels. They never won an event. They didn't even come close to winning an event. I'm pretty sure they never even made it to Sunday. Maybe they made it to Sunday like once or twice, but end result was a million, two million views in a paintball world, which is not large. But it was such a good narrative and it was such a good story about a struggle that people were able to come back and you know, watch it and give give it worth their time. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. More narratives, more documentaries. Yeah, I, I totally <laughs> agree too. And that, and, that, and that Unknown Soldiers thing, I mean, when they approached me with that, they're like, hey, we want you to coach our team. We're going to do this documentary around it and just see where it goes. 
And I was like, okay. And then we started doing it. And uh, yeah, but it was, it was compelling because there's a struggle there. You know, if there's no conflict or crisis, you know, it's like a famous cliche in the writing world, but you know, and it's in one of my favorite movies about writing, which is adaptation. And, uh, you know, and one of there's a scene that's badass. And, um, are you guys, have you seen that movie before? Yes. No. Yeah. So you remember that part where he's at the writing conference and he like raises his hand and, yep. and he's like, oh yeah, you. And he stands up and Nick Cage's character is like, well, you know, what if you want to write a, a screenplay, you know, and we're like, nothing much happens, you know, people live and blah, 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 you know, kind of like the real world. And the guy looks at him, he's like, first of all, if you don't write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. And second of all, nothing happens in the real world. Are you out of your goddamn mind? And, uh, <laughs> and you know, so that it's kind of, that's the thing. So, I mean, and I, I mean, I'd rather do, I'd rather profile a D3 team that lets me have complete access to them than, you know, profile a really good pro player who, when I put the camera on him, just says really boring vanilla stuff all the time. That's sometimes maybe not even true. Yeah. You know, we're just so happy to be here. Like thank our sponsors. Um, great day out here, man. Everyone's doing such. We just played better than they did, you know. I think that's like, why I want to do Dimitri for season two and X Factor. That kid is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Meter is is definitely hilarious, and also uh, because of the roster that they did, um, you know, that people are going to want to know what happens to them next year as well, too. And there's already kind of an arc. You already got an arc to work with, so that would kind of help because there's already like a, a we'll base see. interest I'd, there. I, I would. It would feel wrong to do paintball without taping my little brother because of my own my own <laughs> my own joys but yeah that was that was going to be my next question is what is next for you i mean are you going to continue down this road or are you going to yeah you're going to change subjects like what where are you kind of at now what are you thinking um i want to do another season i'm going to be at all the events anyway and usually i get to play and then i'll go film and you know have a good time and my wife comes and uh we really have a good time traveling with psp series but the offer to do it for other teams is on the table where I wouldn't have to spend my own dollars. It's just a matter of me either justifying it or, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of still up in the air. I'll either do season two with Storm or if um, one of the offers is uh, intriguing enough, I might try to find a team that has an interesting story. It's kind of one of those things. Cool. Well, I hope it works out either way so you get to do some sort of compelling narrative. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be another one, but I don't know. It has to be a good story, first and foremost. Um, and two, it's either going to be another season with Storm, which is going to be really interesting, actually. Them starting off playing Impact, like, that's going to be epic. Uh, or, you know, I don't know. Well, I wish you the best of luck. If I can help, let me know. All right. Hey, Omi, do you or do you have your schedule? Does Storm know who they're playing next year? I do not. Uh, no. We can kind of like guess, but our guess and like our calculations would put us against like Impact, um, I think X Factor, and then I'm not sure about the other two. So piece of cake <laughs> then, pretty much, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> They're actually playing X Factor this weekend. We'll kind of see how that goes and yeah. see where we are. Nice. Well, guys, we are pretty much out of time. I thank you very much for uh, sitting in with me. I really appreciate the stories and love yeah. again. Love what you guys have done. Um, do you have a, a something to plug? Place where they can see this stuff if they haven't seen it already. Um, PBNation.com has it on their cover. Um, you can go to their YouTube channel, and all three episodes are there. And then um, I think we'll be releasing the uh, film festival version in um, May. And then uh, we might do some 
have like upwards of 500 hours of footage and then like, you know, like five terabytes of data. So there's way more good content that I wish I could release. So some really funny like behind I always put in a little bit of comic like comedic relief at the end of them and whatnot. There's a ton of it. There's like that Texas Storm group is hilarious. And um there I I would love to do just an episode of all the funny shit that happened. Um but we'll see. Awesome. Well, it's gonna be a crazy year, man. I'm looking forward to it. And uh yeah, for sure. Well uh thank you guys for sitting in on the podcast and everyone out there in internet land thank you guys for tuning in as well make sure to you know let everybody know about these sorts of things i mean you've been listening to us talk about it for a while so you know own your passion and if you dig paintball then tell people about it and you know share the content and and for what these guys do you know go see the rookie share it on your facebook and help us spread the paintball gospel uh because it's fundamentally important you know we are only as strong as our collective abilities to bring all of these interesting things to light so help us out and uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Like us on Instagram, Facebook, across all the social networks. First event, March 14th through the 16th, PSP, Dallas. And you want to get your team in the fight early. Uh, most of the events sold out and or came very close to selling out. So, And this year is probably going to be just as insane as last year was. Um, so, yeah, we will see you guys next time. Peace.